All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here, we saw Jacob in Beersheba as he was preparing to go down into the land of Egypt to the invitation of his son, Joseph. We remember that it was a famine in the land, in the land of Egypt, as well as in the land of Canaan. Jacob finally discovered that his son, Joseph, after over 20 years, was still alive, but not only was he still alive, he was the chief in authority under the Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt and his sons brought him word of this. And so no doubt excited, he was preparing to go down to Egypt to see his son before his death, but he still has a bit of insecurities. And we talked about all of those things on the last videos, but nevertheless, as he was in Beersheba and worshiped God, God comforted Jacob one last time and told him that it was fine. It was God's will that he should go down into the land of Egypt. And so Jacob being comforted now prepares to go down into Egypt along with the provisions that J that uh, his son Joseph had given him as well as the Pharaoh, the wagons and things of that nature. And then we continue on in that particular chapter, talking about the number of descendants that went down to Egypt with Jacob. That is the tribal family of Jacob who would become, we would later on simply call them the nation of Israel. And it basically set that number at 70 peoples totally. 66 went down with, uh, 66 went down with Jacob and, uh, uh, an additional 70 was the total number of people that included the number of the sons of Joseph. That was Joseph, his two sons, and then you also count Jacob as a whole. Okay. So they brought our number to 70 individuals that went down into Egypt with Jacob's family. So then it continues to talk about the, it numbers the sons of Jacob. And basically we have a geneal genealogy list of Jacob's son. And the primary thing that we should see about those sons is there was an implied sense of rehearsal in why it was necessary for uh, God to send them. Remember, the famine was something that was uh, designed, mechanized by God in order to drive them down into Egypt. How God used the brothers and their envy and jealousy of Joseph to prepare someone, to send someone ahead of them who would provide for them, how God used, or should I say, worked in the life of Joseph in, uh, in all of the things that he suffered engineering those events in his life to bring Joseph to a place of position and power in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. God did all of these things. What we saw in the genealogies once again, notably Simon, also earlier seen in chapter 38 with Judah, also seen in the incident of Dinah in chapter 34, was the constant threat of intermarrying with the Canaanites, with the Gentiles, which would dissolute their purpose of, uh, that God had intended for them to have. It would dissolute their ethnicity as a separate people. It would dissolute their purposes being called as a light unto the Gentiles, all the way from the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And we saw that. And so finally we get into the end of chapter 46 and Jacob is reunited with his son, Joseph, Finally, he weeps on his father's uh, neck for a long time, of course, because he hadn't seen his dad in a very long time, as we said, over 20 years. So after this reuniting of father and son, 
Joseph wisely prepares his brothers to stand before Pharaoh because he knows that Pharaoh will ask concerning their occupation. And so he does not want to insult the Egyptians no more than necessary. And so he preps his brothers on what to say when they finally stand before the Pharaoh. Okay. Now with all of that, let's prepare to go into chapter number 47 as indeed they do stand before Pharaoh, just as Joseph thought they would. And this, for the most part, guys, is nothing more than a continuation from that prep that Joseph was giving them. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Okay. So now we have, just like Joseph had anticipated that the Pharaoh would ask them of their occupation, as we said earlier. So what do we have? A formal presentation. Joseph formally takes some of his brothers. Remember, he has 11 brothers in totality. But he only takes five of them simply to present them to the Pharaoh in a sense of respect. Okay. And also too, now we do realize that Joseph was chief in the land of Egypt only under the Pharaoh. And so it was not absolutely necessary for him to uh, do this presentation of his family before the Pharaoh, but no doubt. So he had the legal authority, but it would also be simply something that should be done out of respect unto the Pharaoh. Don't just do something of this nature and don't even say anything to the Pharaoh, even though he had the authority to do so. So this is the respect that Joseph gives to the Pharaoh that he may attain the blessing of the Pharaoh himself directly for his people. Okay. So he does that. He brings those men in before the Pharaoh and he and they present themselves to the Pharaoh and Pharaoh asks them of their occupation. And as for the most part, like Joseph told them, they said that they were basically shepherds. Now, Joseph said, told them to tell them that they were keepers of livestock, which was a more generalization of that idea. They didn't lie when they said they were uh, 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 they were simply uh if, if they would say, I'm sorry, guys, that they were keepers of livestock, they were keepers of livestock. They were shepherds as well. But the whole point of what Joseph was trying to do was he was trying to be diplomatic and not offend the sensibilities of the Egyptians and especially the Pharaoh. And so Joseph said, say you're keepers of livestock. But the brothers just simply just said they were keepers. of They were shepherds. Don't know why they simply said it this way. But they did. Nevertheless, 
when they said these things to the Pharaoh, Pharaoh still accepted them. And he simply said unto uh, Joseph that the land of Egypt was before them. Give them the best of the land, the most fertile parts of the land, which indeed was in the land of Goshen itself. And also too, in the land of Goshen, also operating in the mind of Pharaoh too. See, learning of their occupation, as it was said earlier in, the, in chapter 46, how that shepherds and people of that and, and livestock handlers were considered an abomination to the Egyptians. So therefore the Pharaoh would keep them separate away from the Egyptians. And as we have been talking about continuously through this teaching, this was God's point. This was God's whole dealing in bringing them out of Canaan from amongst the Canaanites into the land of Egypt. This also was in the mindset of Joseph when he said that he would settle them into the land of Goshen. This is the mind inclusive of Pharaoh. That is keeping these Semitic peoples, these Jews, these Hebrews separate from the Egyptians. Now, everybody has their separate reasons, but nevertheless, this is the end result to put them in the land of Goshen that they might be separate from the Egyptians, from the mindset of God, which is the most important thing of all, separate from the Egyptians so that they don't intermingle, intermarry with the Egyptians, end up adopting the ways and the gods of the Egyptians. That's the mindset of God so that they can flourish, become a great multitude of people and fulfill their divine destiny, which is to share the knowledge and worship of the true God, Yahweh, with the Gentiles of the world families of the earth. Okay. But nevertheless, we won't put it in there. So they come to Pharaoh. He does these things. They explain their case. Of course, Pharaoh knew how that there was no land. There was, I'm sorry, not land, but grain, no vegetation for the animals. And they asked Pharaoh simply to allow them to sojourn. And that's the word that is being used here, which is temporary dwelling, not to stay permanent, but temporary. And of course, Pharaoh gave his okay and his blessing. And finally he told Joseph, uh, uh, and, and as we can see, even evidence, greater evidence of such a blessing of Pharaoh, he says to Joseph, if there are any capable men, since th this is what your family does, they are keepers of livestock and shepherds and things of that nature. If any of them are capable, set them over my livestock as well. That is indeed an honor as well as a blessing to the Hebrew people. So what do we see? We see the invitation of Joseph and his people, namely Israel and his tribal family coming into Egypt, being welcomed into Egypt. Now we know that this will play a role. This idea will play a role when we get into the book of Exodus, the very first chapters of Exodus, when there will arise a Pharaoh over Egypt, who did not know that is the idea of not simple knowledge, but the appreciation of all that Joseph had done in the saving of Egypt. But that is definitely premature, isn't it, God? But that will simply that will contrast what we have now. Now, in chapter 47, that's basically we see in Genesis and up till the end, invitation of the Hebrew people to the Hebrew people into the land 
of Egypt. And that's what we're seeing here. They are welcomed by the Pharaoh. Okay. All right. So now let's continue. So verse number seven, then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained to the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his fathers and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Okay, so now we end up th this presentation before Pharaoh, the first, uh, if you let me say group, uh, 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 part of the presentation were his five brothers. And now finally Joseph brings his father, who is the head of the family, Jacob before Pharaoh. And one of the first things that we see is Jacob blessing the Pharaoh, the Jew blessing the Gentile. What is also important for us to remember too is now remember the norm of things is that the greater one blesses the lesser one. And in this particular scenario, now, according to the normal venue of looking at things, clearly we know the Pharaoh would be the greater one here. But nevertheless, notice it is the Jew Jacob who blesses the great Pharaoh of Egypt. And we notice he did this twice. And that is an amazing thing. But nevertheless, so customary. He comes, he is presented before Pharaoh by his son, Joseph. And so the Pharaoh inquires to Jacob about his life. He, how, how old is he? And so he lets him know that he was 130 years of age. And we need to remember in the mind of Jacob, even when he was preparing to come into Egypt, he believed that he was soon to die. But actually we'll find out later on in the text and I'm being premature as usual. He will live 17 years beyond this. But what, what is of notation here, he was 130 years of age when he went down into Egypt. OK, and then he began to tell him about his days and how the time that he lived upon the earth, he had many troubles during his lifetime. And he even said that he had not lived in accordance to the years of his father or his forefathers. That is namely his father. Uh, Abraham, who lived to be 175 years old, his father, and that Abraham is his grandfather, his father, Isaac, who lived to be 180 years old. But nevertheless, his life was full of troubles as he lived upon this earth. And once again, we saw him blessing again the Pharaoh. And then at the end of this section, we see Joseph settling them into the land of Goshen, which is called the land of Ramesses. And the reason, because in, in Hebrew, I'm sorry, in Egyptian texts and literature, the land of Goshen is not referred to in this manner. It is referred to as the land of Ramesses. And this is, as we've been telling you about the land of Goshen already. 
a fertile crest not far from the region to where Joseph himself would be would have his administrative duties, not far off from the Nile River itself. Okay, so he settled them there in a very fertile place where they were able to grow. And he also, as Joseph had intended in the first place, remember the reason they're down there because of the famine and Joseph and God had put Joseph in a position to provide for his entire tribal family. Joseph also did just that. He provided for them, his father, his brothers, their little ones, his entire tribe. Joseph himself was indeed also a wealthy man. Okay. All right. So now let us continue. 13. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, give up your livestock and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses in, and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before our eyes? Both we and our land buy us and our land for food and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. Okay, so now let's what happened. We have to go all the way back. We, we already know that there is an ongoing famine, okay? When Joseph was revealed to his brothers, he had already told them though, that even though the family was very dire at that time, it was only two years of the famine. Remember the dream that Joseph had, remember the dream that the Pharaoh had, the dream of the fat calf and over against the lean calf, the fat stalks over against the blasted stalks, how that Joseph had interpreted the dream. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Key, the famine would be so great in that it would eat up the seven years and make it seem like the seven years of plenty did not exist at all. So by the time that the brothers had come down to Egypt and Joseph had revealed himself, he told them what? There are still five years of famine to re remaining. So that's where we are now. So now we are in the third year of the famine and proceeding. So what happened? The famine has pressed the Egyptians. It is all in Egypt. It is in the land of Canaan just like Joseph had predicted. 
it impressed upon the Egyptians to such a degree. We see three particular events that happens because of the famine. As the famine pressed upon the Egyptians, first they came unto Joseph and they said, give us food. And what did Joseph do? Now, what we have to do, here's what you have to remember now. It is important not to allow your personal feelings to become involved in this issue. It is important to understand that Joseph has been put in the position of authority by the Pharaoh. Joseph's main concern is to represent the position of the Pharaoh. That's Joseph's job to do what the Pharaoh has put him in his position to do, to take care of Egypt and represent the concern of the Pharaoh. So you have to keep those things in mind and you cannot become emotional as you see what Joseph is doing. Joseph is doing his job. So that's number one, most important part. Okay, so now let's move just a little further. So what happens in these three particular episodes that we're seeing here? They run out of food again. The famine is so tough on them. So they come and so they do, you got to spend the money. So they, they take all of their money. They spend all their money to buy food. What happens? The famine still presses. It persists. Things have not changed. There is no agriculture. And so the people begin once again, they eat up those resources. They come back to Joseph and say, okay, we're starving to death. Don't let us die before your eyes. We don't have any more money left. And what does Joseph say? He said, you got to pay for it some kind of way. You got to pay for these grains some kind of way. But people say, okay, fine. Take all of our livestock. And so they trade it with Joseph for food, for grain, the, the sheep and the goats and the livestock and all of their cattle. They traded all of this in order that Joseph would give them provisions of food so that the people can live and not die. And now, and, and now consider nothing wrong with this, nothing wrong with this whatsoever, but I don't want to commit just yet. So fine. What happens? Guess what? The famine persists. Remember what Joseph said in the dream, how the, 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 the skinny calf ate up the fat calf. And when the skinny calf ate up the fat calf, he was still skinny. Blasted corn ate up the fat corn and it still looked blasted after it ate up the corn. Here is proof positive of this. All of that seven years of abundance that they had experienced before, before this famine, Man, it is not even remembered. You can't even tell that they had those years and the depressing nature of the famine. So now they have no money. Now they have no cattle. All of this, which you got to understand as Joseph is purchasing all of these things, he's purchasing all of these things on behalf of the Pharaoh of Egypt. So the Pharaoh is being enriched even more so in the back of your mind as we see this. This enrichment of Pharaoh, never forget, you still have to tie in the principal blessings of what God said to Abraham in the beginning. Remember, God said this in Genesis chapter 12 when he called Abraham in the first place. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. 
when we look at how Pharaoh dealt with Joseph, the descendant, the direct descendant of Abraham, Pharaoh blessed Joseph. What did he do? He took Joseph from the prison and made him chief of all of Egypt. That's a blessing. And in what Joseph is doing in his job for the Pharaoh, in turn, guess what God is also doing? God is also through Joseph blessing the Pharaoh as Joseph is continuing his administrative duties. So you have to keep those things focused. Okay. But that's number two. So the money, money is gone. The cattle is gone. Guess what happens again? The, the famine persists. So the people come to Joseph starving, starving to death again. They've eaten it, all the provisions that Joseph had supplied to them once again. And they said to Joseph, you already know we got no money. We have no animals. We have nothing to trade except our bodies and our land. That's all we have left our bodies and our land. So I tell you what you do. Take us as servants, slaves, slaves unto the Pharaoh and buy our land since we have nothing else. The idea is don't. And this is what I was trying to tell you guys earlier. Do not become grieved with Joseph. He is doing doing his job and the people realize it's not Egypt's responsibility just to give you the free grain, give you the free grain. You have to have something in order to trade in order to get the grain. And that's just right in this system. OK. And so Joseph says, OK, I tell you what, what you have uh, um, determined, what, what you come to me with, fine. We'll do that. Your property will now become the property of the Pharaoh and you yourselves will become servants, slaves. We understand it in a feudal sense, F-E-U-D-A-L, in a feudal sense. You will become serfs, S-E-R-F-S, serfs to the Pharaoh and that is people who work on the lands of a feudal Lord for the benefit of that Lord. And that's what the Egyptians became to the Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh not only had all of their money, all of their cattle, all of their lands, but even the peoples themselves belong to the Pharaoh in because of the pressing nature of the famine. And this is how the the Pharaoh of Egypt became absolute, absolute in power, absolute in wealth and in his greatness. And this is how it happened to be. Okay. So that's enough. And all of this is so that he would give them seed. Okay. Let me talk about that part. Give them seed. I tell you, maybe I'll talk about that later on. Let me do that. I'll, I'll address this part about seed later on, even though it's talked about in verse number 19. OK, so then let me just continue with the com with the text. Come back with the commentary on that later. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt in verse number 20 for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus, the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. 
For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you and you may sow the land. At the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for those of your households as food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute according to the land of Egypt, valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth and only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Okay. So now talking about that, their, uh, agreement in which they had made with Joseph. And of course, Joseph administrating these things on behalf of the Pharaoh. So Joseph said, all right, you have no more, nothing else to offer except your lands and your physical bodies. And so therefore Joseph made an agreement with the people. All of the land that the people own were bought by Joseph for the benefit of the Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh owns all of the lands. And once and in exchange, I might as well say that. In exchange for food, for food that would be grain as well as seed. Now that's the part where I stopped off the last time from verse number 19. And this is important for us to understand. So not only was he giving them provision of food, okay, so that they can eat and live, but he also from the granaries of the treasure cities of Egypt that Joseph had created, he gave them seed to plant the land. So the land was owned by the Pharaoh. It's now owned by the Pharaoh. Joseph would give them seed where the people themselves would go and plant the land and, and, and produce agriculture on the land. You got it? But the, that land was not theirs. The seed that he gave them, when it produced, they would take 20% of whatever is produced in a sense of repayment for what Joseph has done for them, what Pharaoh has done for them. 20% of everything that they produced would be returned back to the Pharaoh and the remaining four fifths, 80% would be for the people, for their lives, uh, to eat food and for their little ones and things of that nature. So the 80%, it would be a 20, 80% agreement. All right. And, but, and remember the people themselves as serfs, servants, and all the land belonging to Pharaoh. What do you, what do I think about this deal? What do the people think about this deal? It's a good deal. What is, okay. Okay. What is on the opposite side? What if, remember, Joseph can't simply do what he wants to do. He has to act according to the authority that Pharaoh gives him for the benefit of the Pharaoh. If Joseph had not done this, they would have died. They would have literally starved to death. This is actually a good deal because what happens, even though they did lose their property, 
a dead man with, with, with property is still a man without property. But even though they did lose their property, nevertheless, when they began to farm the land, they kept the majority of what they produced, 80%. That's not a bad deal. I'm an American. And, and when we look at how things are nowadays, the taxation of the average American citizen as a whole, when you look at the federal state and all of these things, it's usually greater than 20%. That's a good deal. So Joseph did really good. Not only did he do good by the Pharaoh, he also did well by the people themselves. Joseph has proven himself indeed to be a very wise leader and administrator. But anyway, so that's the deal uh, that they held in perpetuity. And notice what the writer said. And, and this is for Moses time. Remember, Moses is the writer for these five books. He brings these all five books together. Uh, the Pentateuch, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And that's why he said, even until this day, that is, even up until the time of Moses' writing, this procedure of what the Pharaoh would, done, would do, would keep, that Joseph had initiated, this same thing was, was still in continuous even up until that time. Now, the reason why I bring that out again is because we will find out that by the time that Moses does come about at this time, all of the good deeds that Joseph had done would be totally ignored by the new Pharaoh of Egypt and by the new dynasty. And we're not going to get into that that time. Just stay with me as we work our way to the book of Exodus. And we'll talk about the change of dynasties when we get into the book of Exodus. But anyway, and so this is the beautiful thing about that and that this policy of Joseph would be continued on for hundreds of years. All right. However, there was an exemption to this policy and that would be the priestly caste. And that's how they became a very powerful caste, powerful families in the land of Egypt. Why? Because during the famine time from the, from the Pharaoh himself, he had allotted to the priest. So therefore the priest had consistent provisions from the granaries of Egypt. And since they had these provisions, they no longer, they, they did not have any reason to sell their lands. So they have provisions from the Pharaoh and the lands unto the priestly caste. So they themselves would become very rich and powerful. And for this reason, the priestly caste were exempt from this policy. And it's also continued on until the time of Moses. Okay. All right. Verse number 27. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen and they acquired property in it and they were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, Place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt, 
But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He said, swear to me. He, so he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Okay. Now let's talk about this final section of chapter 40, number 47. It can be a little, ah, I don't want to take you guys into the Hebrew of the text at the end. Maybe we'll do that in a special video. But so now the concentration is a separation as it talks about the Egyptians. Now the concentration is about Israel, the tribes of Israel in the land of Goshen. Speaking of Israel, the tribe, Israel is now in Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and we see the blessings in Israel. And notice there is a distinction and contrast here. As spoke about Egypt, we saw famine and destitution. But as we now speak about Israel, notice it is the very opposite. We see prosperity and blessing. And even once again, as God has said to Jacob, remember, as he has, he soothed the spirit of Jacob in Egypt, I will make of you a great nation there fulfilling a partial fulfilling of the promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac. And now we see it happening with Jacob, his descendants becoming very fruitful. But the point is what we see for Israel and their descendants is blessing and fruitfulness over against, contrasting against the, uh, the Egyptians, okay? But nevertheless, so then it talks about the life of Jacob. Jacob now, uh, in, remember he was 130 years of age when he came and stood before the Pharaoh. Now, he lived an additional 17 years. That is, it brings us now to Jacob being 147 years old. And so now he is aware he is aware. Remember, he thought he was going to die even much sooner. But by God's grace, God has given him 17 years with his son, Joseph. He now understands that the time for his departing from this earth is at hand. And so he calls his son, Joseph. Remember, Joseph stands now under Jacob. Joseph, the one who, wear, who had once one time wore the coat of many colors. Joseph is the head of the family. So he calls Joseph and he makes Joseph swear to him a certain thing. And so the act of swearing, he said, said he places his hand under the thigh. Now, we also saw Abraham do this. And I believe it's Genesis chapter 24. Abraham did the same thing with his servant Eleazar. It is very possible that this is a euphemism. I can't be absolutely certain, but this is a euphemism for the grabbing of the genitals, literally the grabbing of the genitals to make the promise because the genitals were seen as a source of power. So, but anyway, he makes him take the vow and simply says, when he dies, do not bury him in the land of Egypt, but take him back to the land of his forefathers and bury him in the place of his forefathers, which we already know was the cave of Machpelah that Abraham bought as a burial place for his wife, Sarah, where Abraham himself was buried, where Isaac was buried along with Rebekah and also to where Leah was buried. And here 
where Jacob is requesting to be buried himself in the cave of Machpelah in the land of Canaan, that is the promised land. And so he, he makes Joseph to swear that he will not bury him in that pagan land of Egypt, but bury him in the land of Canaan, even according to what God had promised him in chapter 46. God has said to Jacob that he is going down into the land of Egypt, but that he would bring him back into the land of promise and he will be buried there. All right. So he makes him promise there and Joseph affirms that he says, I swear I will bury you. And we will talk about that later on. And so he says to him, I will father bury you there. And the last thing we see here at the end of the chapter is uh, Jacob bowing down and he begins to worship. Okay. And now it, where I wanted to kind of play with the, not so much as play with the text, but deal with the text from the, from the Hebrew here is it can be somewhat confusing in that he is bowing down. Is this bowing down simply a, because, okay, let me, I tell you what, I'll just deal with it. The text, let me, let me get to the verse exact, verse number. What is it guys? 31. And it said, uh, uh, okay. And, 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 and he bowed down and Israel bowed down upon the head of his staff. Okay. Okay. Right here on the head of his bed here. All right. Should I do this now guys? I don't know. Okay. Let me see if I can make it very fast. The word here where it says he bowed down at the head of his bed, it is, it is the word hamita, hamita, okay? All right. The word hamita, uh, uh, it, it, where they translate it bed, is very similar to another word hamite, and that is the word for staff. So the only difference between hamita and Hamite, the only difference would be the vowel pointings. And, and I don't want to take you guys into all of that, but it is simply to say, simply to say, the vowel pointings are those little things that you see underneath the Hebrew letters, okay? The whole point of it is this. It was not until the Masoretes who included the vowel pointings, which was done several centuries later, and because the Masoretes placed the vowel pointings differently here, the translation of the Hebrew text, which is why this is where we get our translation from in the NASB, our translation of the Hebrew text, they translated worship upon his bed, his bed because of those vowel pointings. Okay. Mate, mita, mita, bed. But, when we look at the Septuagint, the Septuagint, and also when we look at the Greek rendering in the New Testament for this particular word here, in the Septuagint, and, and, and they look, and because the vowel pointings is different as I was trying to make you guys understand, mate, the word is staff. So simply because a change of the vowel pointings from uh, which can be understood as bed or understood as staff. So the question becomes, what is the proper 
translation of the text. What is the original text to be, should be given? Clearly the Septuagint as well as the New Testament Greek lets us know that the proper translation is not that he worshiped on his bed, but that he worshiped while leaning as Hebrews chapter 11 tells us leaning upon his staff. So therefore we see what happens at the very end of chapter 47. And I'm so sorry I made this long. We see Jacob as he finally says to his son, take my bones and I'm sorry, take my body and bring me back unto the land of my forefathers, bury me in the cave of my forefathers. He responds to Joseph's affirmations, his agreement to that. He responds to that in worship to God that in, in, when it's all said and done, his remains will be returned to the land of promise. But also too, right before we close it guys, what we can see, we can see a shadow. Remember, let me take you all the way back to chapter 37. Remember in, in uh, Joseph's dreams, what did he say? He said in one specific dream that he went and told to his fathers, his brothers thought he would get in trouble with this particular dream. When Joseph said, I dream that the 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowed down before me. The 11 stars are his brothers. The sun and the moon is Jacob and his mother. And remember, how did Jacob respond? Shall I and your mother bow down before you? Boy, are you crazy? What you thinking? And so his father was somewhat offended to think that he would bow down to his own son. Here we see somewhat of a, a shade of a semblance of this notice as he is before his son, the chief ruler of all Egypt under Pharaoh. And the final picture that we see here, here in 47 that is, concerning uh, Jacob and, and with the promise, what do we see? Him bowing down. We know that it is the worship unto God as Hebrews 11 even makes clear, but nevertheless in front of his son, we see him bowing down. All right, guys, thanks for joining me in that long teaching, but join me next time in chapter 48 as we continue on as Jacob enters the final stages of his life. What does he do? He begins to bless Joseph and his sons as well as his remaining sons. All right, guys, see you then.